I interviewed Bob Poland, and uh, he and Chomsky wrote a book um, called Climate Crisis and the Global Green New Deal. And Ellsberg, actually, uh, I quote him in my piece, he did a review for that book where he says, you know, this is the roadmap to save ourselves. You know, this is the plan. Everyone needs to read this. It's a survival manual for the species. And I wonder, um, you never look to elites for anything, really. But do the billionaires, do they understand that that government action is needed? A global Green New Deal is needed. Uh, Paul said he's like, we've got till 2050 to get to zero global emissions. You know, so do the elites understand that that's needed? And if so, are the Larry Finks of the world putting their weight behind that? Oh, they understand it's needed. They're not doing what it takes to get there. They're, they've, they've adopted the rhetoric of net zero by 2050. Uh, the problem is the concept of net zero is kind of bullshit because Net zero means you can have carbon offsets, you can have uh, various tax schemes, uh, but most importantly, uh, they're relying on carbon capture, not deliberate, regulated law enforced phasing out of fossil fuel. And if you look at the Biden plan and you look at all the rhetoric around there, Carbon capture and nuclear power um, is a big piece of the plan. But there's no there there. Even if carbon capture, and it looks like there are ways to have carbon capture, to suck some carbon out of the air, there, but nothing at a scale uh, that can accomplish to reach these targets. But they keep talking about it as if there is. Uh, like I was just reading an article today uh, on the bulletin of atomic scientists and there's been some studies the, they're building a carbon capture uh, operation in uh, Finland or Iceland I can't remember one of those two and it works the technology works but they, the calculation that this guy made after interviewing and talking to a bunch of scientists, that maybe, maybe, if 80% of carbon reduction comes from phasing out of fossil fuel, the 20% that would still have to be uh, dealt with, maybe that happens through carbon capture. But all, first of all, only if you first of all deal with the 80%, which means immediate phasing out of fossil fuels, like immediate, meaning like five, 10 years, but like an, an urgent plan. But even that 20% is a total question mark. It would take billions and billions of dollars, probably trillions, to create enough carbon capture uh, capacity uh, with this process, at least. Um, and even if you did it, it's optimistic to think I might deal with 20%. Now, I don't know if all his numbers are right or wrong, but everything I've read is that in terms of getting to net zero, well, first of all, net zero by 2050 is not enough. Uh, that, that 2050 number only makes any sense at all if you get the 1.5 degrees warming, stabilized at 1.5 uh, by about uh, 20. 
32, 35 in that area. But you don't get there if you don't essentially get there by the end of this decade. So you have to stabilize at 1.5 uh, by the end of this decade to not get to 2 by 2050. Well, we're nowhere near getting to 1.5. But based on this interview and the, and the recent IPCC report, people should understand 1.5 is a disaster. The extreme climate we're seeing now, we're all over the world. We're now at, uh, what is it? We're about one three, one four. I can't remember the number. We're maybe one two in warming. So we're, you know, we're two, three, four degrees to get to one five, and they're expecting we could do that in a decade. Well, to get to one five is like a doubling of our current extreme weather between now and one five. So look at all the forest fires, all the storms, all the flooding, all the heat. We could get close to doubling. One five to two is another more than doubling. Two to three is quadrupling. Four is more than quadrupling. So Four is most of the southern hemisphere, as I said, is unlivable. So is uh, when I interviewed the climate, this climate scientist, I said, I said at, at one five or two, uh, what does the American agricultural West look like? I think I asked him at, at two degrees. I said it, some people are saying it's a dust bowl at two. I said, am I exaggerating? He said, no, you're not exaggerating. The other thing that's really scary in the in this chapter 11 is he talked about unexpected climate events extreme events which they can't estimate the uh, risk it's not enough data but like one of the examples he gave is the oceans and i don't know the specifics of this but the oceans absorb an enormous amount of carbon, naturally. And there's a phenomenon that's begun, which I believe is part of global warming itself, where some of that capacity is being, is, is being reduced. And there is the possibility of a kind of tipping point where there'll be a significant drop in an unexpected way of the oceans uh, absorbing carbon. Well, that's one of the examples of, he says if that happens, all bets are off. All their estimates about one five and two and how much time we have, uh, it, it all goes out the window. And there's other such events that are possible. They can't just put a number on it. It's not like they don't think they're not going to happen. Just they're scientists. They don't have enough data to say it's this percent or that percent. So... Do the elites know it? Well, they're not stupid. They read the same stuff we read. Um, it's... I, I think for the majority of the elites, at least so far, they they think when it, when it really comes down to it, they have so much wealth, they'll be okay one way or the other. 
Uh, I mean, it's not for nothing that all these rich guys are building spaceships and, you know, they buy land in New Zealand. And, uh, they, they, the rich, you know, the, Rob Johnson, who knows a lot of these rich people, you know, he says uh, denial is very comfort comforting. Yet you go about your life. I mean, so do most of us. Except if you have millions and millions and billions of dollars, you feel you're immune. Will there be some individual elites that with enough power and influence and, and get the catastrophic nature of this, that they will have to actually think about their own children and, and understand that, you know, they may for a time be able to, uh, you know, mitigate the effects on themselves and their families. But, you know, what, what planet are they planning to live on? I guess we'll see. In some ways, everything about capitalism we know tells us they're not going to. But there's been some examples where they kind of did. I mean, they did deal with acid rain, sort of. Um, I don't know. The jury's out. We'll find out. But if you work backwards from how do we save human civilization... Given the weakness of the people's movement, given the weakness, uh, you know, in, in places where you would have hoped there would be a real breakthrough, like Brazil, you would have thought there could have been a really progressive breakthrough. Even if Lula wins the next election, it's still so chaotic there. You would have thought a place like India by now would have a really revolutionary, progressive, socialist movement of some strength. Instead, you've got an insane Hindu nationalist running the place. Uh, uh, so it may take uh, that we're going to get deep into the shit before enough people wake up and take action. And one hopes it's not too late. Yeah, just to clarify, it's one thing for Larry Fink, and I'm just using him as a mascot, but it's, it's one thing for these elites to say, oh, my company's going to do X, Y, Z. But it's another thing for them to actually get political, like the Koch brothers are highly political, right? So why don't you put your billions of dollars into politics to push for a Green New Deal, since these people are very intelligent and very well informed, and they understand that it's a serious emergency. So... I would expect to see them ship from my company's going to do this to I'm going to get political now because they're not stupid and they know that we need to get political. We need to have a global green new deal. Uh, they're very political and the Democratic Party is, I mean, Larry Fink has his man in the, uh, close to Biden and as an economic advisor. Uh, they're very political. They, they control the corporate Democrats. So the, uh, but like I say, that they'd have to. It has to be the kind of thing that happens during war, where you, like in World War II, you they accepted and had no choice an enormous amount of government intervention to quickly put the country on a war footing, and that's what's needed now. There has to be government intervention, like there's a war. It has to be a war. Uh, to complete, to reshape the economy, which means enormous power 
uh, handed over to the state. And the, but it has to also be a, a government that isn't completely controlled by the financial sector because they have their own agenda. And they, it's, it's like they can't help themselves but just try to make money out of whatever gets done. I mean, I honestly, at this point, don't care. If there was a quote-unquote New Deal, a Green New Deal, not the kind that's been proposed by the progressives, but one that made the financial sector even richer because they built the public out of tons of money, but actually was effective in phasing out fossil fuels. Well, do we have a choice? Like right now, they should nationalize the fossil fuel industry, obviously. And if you have to pay all the shareholders, uh, which is mostly these financial institutions, and say, okay, here, here's X trillion dollars, go away. We're gonna, we're, we now own the fossil fuel industry. You haven't lost anything. And uh, we're phasing this out. Uh, the same thing, uh, the, uh, like a simple proposal would be, Bob Poland's made this. I just talked about this with him in an interview a little while ago. He reckons that you could pay all, every fossil fuel worker in the United States three years of their current wages for $2 billion. I mean, $2 billion isn't lunch money for, for Jeff Bezos, or never mind BlackRock. So double that, you know, so $4 billion six years, you know, keep going. You can guarantee all the fossil fuel workers, they won't lose a dime with a transition to a sustainable, to sustainable energy. And not only that, you would electorally so weaken the Republicans in all these fossil fuel states because, you know, they're going to scream and, and what fossil fuel worker is going to turn down money to retire, but they're not doing it. Why isn't Biden doing it? Because if you do that, it means you're serious about phasing out fossil fuel, which means you're gonna to go to war with the fossil fuel companies who is owned primarily by the financial sector. That's the most obvious thing in the world. Just, you know, so, but again, this goes back to this kind of underground organizing, because you, if you, organize in states where there's fossil fuel workers and start organizing with this as a demand. Yes, transition, but transition with full support and subsidy to fossil fuel workers. I think it has some success. And Poland was talking about in California, the union that represents refinery workers actually is, is advocating and supporting this proposal, the phasing out of the fossil fuel with a, you know, a just transition. And of course, why should fossil fuel workers bear the brunt of something the whole society has, has participated in? Uh, but it, it's, it's the conundrum, the logic of capitalism isn't that, except if they do get that their own wealth, their own status, their children are going to be in an unlivable world. Maybe some of them start to get it. I mean, they've got it more now. I, and you got to, you know, the Biden administration, at least in rhetoric, and at least with a little bit of plan and investment, is taking it more seriously. But it's nowhere near 
what scientists say needs to be done. Can Canada, can the federal government just bail out Alberta? Because Alberta is just stupid on climate change because that's where their bread is buttered. So you just do the same thing with them, just transition, bail them out, you know, and then they'll, they won't care, you know, and then you can move forward on climate, right? Well, yeah, you offer the fossil fuel workers uh, wage subsidies, uh, you know, whatever. It, it isn't that much money. Uh, of course, the fossil fuel companies will scream blue burger because they've invested so much money in the tar sands. Uh, but if you start with subsidizing the workers uh, electorally, it will really weaken the hand of the right wing in Alberta, which are essentially just fronts for the fossil fuel companies. Uh, it's clear the writing's on the wall with tar sands. So, but it's the same thing. The Trudeau government, or there won't be any different, even the NDP when they were elected in Alberta wasn't any different. Uh, they don't want to take on the fossil fuel companies. Uh, they're afraid. But there's no, I mean, there's no choice. And the, the best way to start is with the subsidizing of the workers. I did a piece on climate communication. Uh, do you know who Catherine Hayhoe is? Uh, she's a climate communicator. She puts out statistics where she shows that people in America largely agree that global warming is real, largely agree that it's going to harm people in poor countries like in Africa and so on. They agree it's going to harm their kids. They're gonna, they agree it's going to harm plants and animals. But the thing that prevents action is that they don't think that it'll harm themselves. And it's so strange to me because you have to be a real psycho. I mean, even if you're a psychopath, right, you want your kids to have a good life, you know. So that's crazy to me. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that's changing. I, I don't know. Those stats, I don't know how old they are. I think in the last couple of years, that number has really changed. It used to be really alarming how many people answered poll questions the way you said. But I think that in recent events, especially the last year, year and a half, two years, people are, are being really directly affected. Uh, you know, look at what happened in New York and New Jersey and the wildfires out west. Uh, uh, people are getting it, but the uh, they there isn't enough consciousness about what's really required. And so the fact that the Democrats uh, claim they're doing something and can blame the Republicans for not doing more uh, in the U.S. it paralyzes the situation so far. In Canada, there's a uh, yeah, I think in Canada, in the big urban centers outside of maybe British Columbia, uh, you know, I know I, you know, I'm in Toronto now, and I, what a, we're having a lovely climate. <laughs> we're having a great summer. People joke about in, in a, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we'll grow mangoes in Muskoka. And, uh, it's 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 easy to be in denial in the Canadian urban centers, and what is it, 80% of Canada's urban, different out west because, you know, the fires have clearly hit people in a way that hasn't happened before. Uh, and, and I guess one change is the extent to which the Conservative Party in this federal election ongoing now is trying to claim they have a climate policy, which, you know, for a long time they didn't even have one, really. Uh, it's a reflection of Canadian public opinion, not that the Conservatives are serious about doing anything. They're far too uh, tied to Alberta 
and fossil fuel areas for votes and, and, and as I said before, mouthpieces for the fossil fuel industry. But the liberals are a heck of a lot better. Um, why there isn't a, a larger scale climate movement in Canada? I guess it's kind of what you just said. Even if people in polling questions in Canada say, yes, it affects me, it doesn't really yet. Uh, certainly not in, uh, like I say, not in Toronto. You know, it's hot, maybe hotter than usual in the summer, but everybody, you know, most people, a majority of people, I, I don't know, I'm not even sure it's most, a majority have air conditioning. Uh, and the significant numbers of people that can't afford air conditioning are very marginalized you know, and not organized. You don't hear about them. Um, but the media is terrible on the whole in Canada and the US. The amount of time spent on climate crisis is minimal. And very, very little expose about how ineffectual government policy is. So people get fooled very easily by, you know, when a party or government claims they're going to do this and that. It sounds, oh, okay, they're taking it seriously now. Yeah, it's just, I, it's incredibly confusing to me why, if you have kids or you care about the future of society, uh, even if, again, even if you're a psychopath, you should, on the most narrow, self-interested grounds, you should be uh, in panic mode. That's what I'm saying. Well, I would disagree with that. Um, I don't think psychopaths do think that way. Psychopaths, I think they're psychopaths because they don't think very far uh, except about their most immediate impulse and need and, and logic. Uh, and the problem with capitalism is psychopaths rise to the top. Capitalist, capitalism rewards psychopaths, people with no conscience, people who don't give a damn about society, who, who are totally focused on money making. Uh, at the very most, and this is where I, I give you something, but it's very narrow, maybe care about the interests of their own family, the way the mafia does. I think Tony Soprano, you know, the mafia mentality, is a pretty good way to understand how much of the capitalist elites thing. Uh, that everybody's expendable in the entire world. All humans are expendable except maybe their immediate family. But even there, it's within the confines of very narrow money-making. Uh, and so, like, there's a kind of lodging to a mafia family. But they don't give a damn that the activities of getting millions of people addicted to drugs uh, and the crime and, and the destruction, the havoc they, they wreak, uh, the mafia doesn't care about that because they're making money today. And, that's somebody else's problem. I think most of the capitalists think that way. And, and, and what I mean by most of the capitalists is the people that actually are actively running the system, either whether it's big corporations uh, or in government. Uh, there's a lot of sociopaths rise to the top. 
And they're not out and out psychopaths. You know, it's like they're going to run around individually killing people and such. But they, they just have accepted the logic of the system that's so internalized. Like the thing, the example, I guess, that I always go back to when, when I hear this kind of question. Tobacco companies who sat and hid the research. They knew tobacco smoking caused cancer. But not only did they hide the research from the public, knowing that tobacco caused cancer, all the executives smoked. Because if you didn't smoke, you didn't rise to the top of the tobacco company. If you wanted to advance your career, you better be a smoker. But they let and encouraged their kids to smoke for the same reason. They let their kids smoke, knowing what they knew. Because they were just embodiments of the corporate culture. You know, Marx has this great line, you know, social consciousness ref reflects social being. Well, they become the culture of where they work. They, they become the corporate culture. They be, you know, they used to have this line, you are what you eat. It, it wasn't right. It, it's, it's you are how you make your money to eat. That starts to define your consciousness. And, you know, the odd person gets it and quits and breaks away. You know, the, you get whistleblowers. But on the whole, the inertia, the habit, it's very hard for people to break out with, out of it without an external event that, sh that really shakes them. I mean, eventually, the insurance companies had, had enough of cancer. It was just costing them too much. And governments, and who, especially in, in, in even states that had a certain amount of public insurance, but uh, private insurance companies especially, they wanted to get stopped the amount of smoking going on. It was costing them a fortune. <clears throat> so eventually one sector of the economy started pressuring the tobacco industry. And they had these big lawsuits in the states and, and so on. And they're still smoking. Uh, hasn't been bad, but but when it comes to something as as fundamental as what's required to deal with climate, a real restructuring of the economy, the inertia and habit it, it's very difficult, uh, and people are they have to like it's growing. I can't say it hasn't changed. There's a lot more people get it now than it did even five years ago. Uh, but we who have any kind of platform at all have to really focus on what's effective climate action as opposed to what's empty rhetoric. And I'm hoping that people that are you know, in the trenches organizing, whether it's about you know, unions or you know, against police injustice or crimes against indigenous people, like whatever it is, people have to also take up the question of climate and make sure that wherever they're working, wherever they're organizing, whatever, you know, whether it's advocacy or organizing, that, that, that the solution to these issues, whether it's climate or even nuclear weapons, um, they're very similar, which is there has to be a radical restructuring 
of, of how the economy is organized. And, and it, it can't be as radical as I'd like to see. Uh, I mean, I obviously, anybody that looks at this would know that some form of democratic socialism is the only real way out of this. I mean, it's, it's just too obvious. Um, but the time frame to have a real kind of socialist transformation, uh, whether it's in Canada or the United States. Now, this may not be true in some other countries. It, it may be possible. There's a breakthrough. Uh, and, and you, know, you know, like Bolivia right now, maybe it's going to go that way. Who knows? Maybe something in Brazil might be possible. But in the U.S. and Canada... Uh, the elites are so powerful here. I don't see in a time frame that could be nine or ten years, if we have that moment, that you're going to have that kind of transformation. But there needs to be uh, this kind of real restructuring of, of the Canadian economy if we're going to talk Canada, which is so, so much based on uh, fossil fuel. Uh, and, and so... That conversation, it's, you know, it's hard to have because the Canadian media is not very interested. But, you know, the fires in BC, the, the people could see what happened in New York. Uh, maybe we're getting closer to that moment. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed the interview.